0: the latter-day lives podcast is not owned or operated by the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization unless otherwise stated Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Latter-day Lives Podcast. My name is Sean Rapier. I am your host. This is episode 26, which also means that uh, we have now been doing the podcast for six months, half a year. Thank you so much for supporting us. We appreciate it. Uh, This week on the show, an incredible guest. um, Damon Holsey actually spent two tours of duty, one year each, in Afghanistan. And he's going to tell us all about it, which is just fantastic. And this week in my Latter-day Life, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my experience with Las Vegas and drinking. Don't worry. It's it's actually a really good story. So uh, anyway, sit back, relax, and here is this week's conversation. <laughs> And it is my pleasure to have right here with me, uh, Damon Holsey. Damon, how are you? I'm doing great, Sean. Thanks. So Damon has been a friend of mine for many, many years. A lot of years. Yeah. I have invited him here because Damon has an amazing story to tell. Uh, Damon was deployed twice. Yep. To yeah. Afghanistan. Yeah. And oh three to oh four and oh eight to oh nine. So we're going to talk about all that, but before nice. we do, let's get a little bit of history on Damon. Damon, <laughs> tell us
1: tell us where you're from. So uh, I'm from San Jose, California. I have what two brothers, one sister. Uh, we re- grew up all right there in San Jose. Uh, my parents divorced when I was eleven ish. Yeah, I was just talking to my kids, and it seems like everything right around eleven or twelve. Some blur of yeah. events, right? And, uh, Crazy times. Yeah. So, so my dad's up in Sacramento, mm-hmm. uh, or above Sacramento, and uh, my mom passed away. I don't know, a few years back. Yeah, uh, cancer, and then my other brother Daryl, almost two years to the day, one week before being like. Two-year anniversary. He also passed away of cancer. Yeah. So now it's my dad, my oldest brother, my sister, and me. So I, I was actually, um, had such great decision-making skills that uh, three weeks into my senior year, I, I dropped out and joined the army. So I was seventeen, right? I go to Fort Leonard Wood for basic training. Um, I was in the engineers. Where's that? Uh, Missouri. Missouri. Okay. So I go to Missouri. First time I'd been in the. So s- how do you join the military
0: storm? when you're when you're seventeen?
1: Uh, you get. Then, you had to have a parent signature, yeah. right? And uh, my mom, not super willingly and happily, but went. and. Is that still signed. the case
0: today? Can a 17-year-old enlist if they have a parent signature?
1: I don't know. I think they've raised the standard a little bit. I think a high school diploma now is, may maybe required, or, yeah. or the completed GED. And right. I didn't have either at right. the time. But uh, my first duty station, when I left... Fort Leonard, Road, Missouri, I go to Fort Riley, Kansas. And you have to in-process into the base before you can go to your unit. So you go to these different places, check in with the hospital, check in with everything, the library. Yeah. I had to check in with the education center. And that guy, I remember his face. He had a mustache. I don't remember his name, but I'm really grateful for him. He goes, well, uh, I'm not going to let you go to your unit until you come back tomorrow. Come back and see me tomorrow. You're going to spend all day with me and I was like Ooh. okay so i come back the next day and he put me in this room and and i took these tests all day long turns out that i took the GED that day unknowingly really so he yeah. just kind of gave you the GED didn't yeah. tell you
0: that it was the GED
1: yeah and and afterwards yeah. he he told me you know i just i figured you were going to need <laughs> you're going to need this <laughs> in your life man so so i'm really grateful to him for that and yeah and so you did yeah. your basic
0: training there how was basic training as a 17 year old <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was really scary. Scary in, in that, uh, you know, I looked at the 19-year-old kids as grown men. Sure. So, well, when you're that age. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of years older. Some of those guys, they had facial hair. Yeah. I didn't. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. And it, and it's, I don't know, it's close quarters. It, you know, it's not you don't get a lot of privacy. And so I was new to that. Did you
0: regret it? Did you Did you look around at any point and go, what am I doing? Why did I do this?
1: So one or one or two nights, you know, I kind of cried myself to sleep a little bit, wondering if boy did I just make a colossal mistake? Or, yeah. Because I just didn't. I didn't know. I was. I was. It was. I always had a hard time knowing what was going on around me. Yeah. But I was pretty good at showing up when and where they told me to and be here. <laughs> yeah. Go do it. Yep. I yeah. got that figured out pretty quick. So then, where
0: did you go from from basic?
1: So Fort Riley, Kansas. And so I went to basic in 80 what for 4 November of 84 mm. uh early 85 I get to Fort Riley and I and I was there with the uh engineers um for a year and then I got stationed in Germany Karlsruhe uh West Germany.
0: So you're 18 mm-hmm. in Germany. In Germany. You're yeah. living the life.
1: Oh yeah. How yeah. long
0: were you in Germany?
1: Uh like a year and a half till. Yeah.
0: Now, did you focus on one specific job within the army, or was it general yeah. service?
1: Yeah. So my job was uh, combat engineer, specifically a bridge bridge guy. So there's there's a, f- a few different types of bridges uh, that go in, and some are meant to be a little more longer lasting. Some are meant to just go in, get some people across, whatever it is, and then get it right back out. Yeah. So. Um. When I was in Germany, it was fun. I was in a a floating bridge unit. So Mm. we had boats and you just drop these giant things into the water and they pop open and then you you bump them and push them together and throw latches and kind of build it on the water and then stretch it from side to side. It was great fun. Great fun for a teenager. Yeah, to get to build floating (laughs) bridges.
0: That's like every every teenager's (laughs) dream. That's awesome. Yeah, I liked it. (laughs) So where did you go after Germany? So then I got out. Yeah, how many years were you in? Uh, just three, three. Okay. So now
1: I'm twenty-ish right and And towards the end, frankly, <laughs> frankly, Sean, I was looking around and and I thought,, um, I always knew I wanted a family. yeah, and, and you know, when I joined the army, I was thinking career, but somewhere in there, I started thinking, wait, family and and not that it can't be done and and I know wonderful. Great people with yeah, great they're great military families in the military. But where I was and what I was doing, right, my <laughs> choices—you um, knew what was right for you, right? I realized I, I'm not going. I'm not aiming at the family I want here. Mm, so I, yeah. I just thought I'm going to I'm going to cut this right now and go home and see what happens. And where'd uh, that take you? So I I uh, I I decided I wanted to go on a mission. Where'd you and go? And Began that process and huge game changer in my life i went to phoenix arizona spanish speaking
0: awesome how was your mission
1: oh how do i describe it like everybody it's influenced my life ever since
0: yeah did did being in the military (laughs) help prepare you for your
1: mission i think so i yeah so i don't know i had at least a level of of just personal confidence in terms of like i wasn't I didn't have any homesickness issues personally because yeah, sure. I'd already been away, right? And I, yeah. I didn't ha- really have many issues with um, being nervous necessarily to to just be out and approaching people that sort of thing. Uh, obviously, there's always a little bit of you know just how how's this going to go? Yeah. And, and am Self-doubt, I going to do it right? Sure. And am I and I really want to do it well? Yeah. That sort of thing. But uh, you
0: were th- you were the, about the same age as the rest of the guys in the mission. Yeah, but. You'd lived in Germany and had been, yeah. <laughs> had been in the military for three years, all these other guys had graduated and maybe spent yeah. a year working at Wendy's. Yeah, that was and, I remember
1: in the MTC they asked us the missionary training center, we're we're going over uh, I don't know, teaching techniques and that sort of stuff. And one of my instructors said, So I want somebody to volunteer uh just to teach us something. Just to stand up and I don't I don't care what it is, anything that you happen to know about that maybe the rest of us don't know anything mm-hmm. about, something from your life. And I was like Hey, I can I can teach you all how to how to build what's called a ring main, this a, a series of explosives that are in a circle and <laughs> and how to connect them all and make them all go off at the same time. Like, <laughs> and he's like, well, okay. And I was drawing pictures and, and here's the knot you use and <laughs> here's how to make here's how to blow things yeah, up. And at the end he goes, well, great. I I feel pretty confident that I could make a ring main now.
0: <laughs> oh, that's great.
1: I'm sure he did yeah. not expect that.
0: He's probably thinking, I, I can teach yeah. you how to cook a perfect steak. Yeah. <laughs> Instead, here's how to blow up things in a circle yeah. and have it all go off at the same time. I love that. So you get done with your mission. You came back to San Jose. Yeah. Now, at what point did you meet Debbie? Debbie was in our steak,
1: right? Right. Um, I knew her brother uh, and and I didn't know her. I knew of her and I yeah. had met her but um, one day it must have been May one day uh, Kit says to me he goes hey did you hear Debbie Maddox is coming home from her mission? I didn't know she had gone on her mission. Yeah. But I, I don't I don't know what to make of this but it's the truth. He goes did you hear that Debbie Maddox coming home from mission today or coming home? And I just thought that's it. That's 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 what I've been. This is this is all leading up to this. I'm going to marry Debbie Maddox. I Wait, just, what? I'm serious. Man. And you had never really spent a lot of time right. with Debbie. Right. You didn't but know her that well. He said that, and I hadn't even seen her coming over from mission yet. I, he just said that, and I thought, oh, that just makes sense. Okay, so, this is one of the most
0: <laughs> Mormon things I've I, ever heard. I've never heard this right. before. I right. had no idea.
1: Right, and I, you know.
0: Did you tell Debbie this right away? Hey, by the way, right I'm,
1: away? No, I did not. Welcome home
0: from your mission. <laughs> by the way, I'm here to marry you. I did
1: not. I had already heard all the. Do I say dare say crazy stories? I don't want to alienate anybody. I you know hear yeah. stories about yeah. one person really feels like, hey, I've been told we are to be married, and the other one's like, all right, when I get told that, <laughs> yeah, great. In the meantime, yeah, you got to worry about that. But I really, I really felt like wow, there's there's the direction for me. Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe it's more retrospect retrospective. I'm gonna marry her, but I really felt like that is the direction. It felt like light. It felt it was great.
0: <laughs> so. You and Debbie date. You end up getting married. Where did you yeah. guys get married?
1: Oakland Temple.
0: Oakland Temple. Oakland Temple, which is where I got yeah. married.
1: When did you guys make your way to Utah? Yeah. So we came in '93. Anyway, um, somewhere in in '95, I want to say. Um, I'm flipping through the paper. And I had just been working, right? Yeah. And I kind of knew, gosh, I gotta get something going. I've got this family. You, you yeah. know, and I um I was flipping through the paper and and I saw this ad that said Spanish translators or something like that. And I call and it turns out to be a National Guard recruiter. And I thought, well, gee, I know Spanish. Uh, long story short, I joined the National Guard. Yeah. Uh a few months later, got offered full-time orders, um, just doing Spanish translations, and and it turned out to be a, an awesome and amazing career for me. Yeah. Great things for my family, and I just retired from that. In How long
0: were you in the National Guard?
1: From 95 to 2013. What are we now? Yeah, 2013, yeah. I retired in June
0: yeah 18 yeah. years yeah it's great it's a long time full time <laughs> in the national guard yep it was amazing so tell us about when you got your first deployment what was what years were those so 2003 2003 yeah how many children did you have at that time
1: um debbie was pregnant with uh our sixth with your six how
0: many children yeah. do you have now eight eight children <laughs> yeah had to one up us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Eight children, and right, so yeah. when when you were in two thousand three, mm-hmm. how did you find out you were getting
1: deployed? Um, so I was in the nineteenth special forces group. I was a um, support guy. I was a I was in the, the radio section, the communications section in May. April, May, we were scheduled anyway to go to what's called uh, JRTC, I think. Yeah. I, I don't even remember what it stands for. It's at Fort Polk, Louisiana. This like uh, really intense training. area. you go yeah. in and and you lock down, and, and it's a, it's a great, great training. But we were there, and it was actually while we we're there. So we're there for a couple of weeks because because you're there for a little bit of setup time. And you know the National Guard's got their two week training. Right. Well, some of us were fortunate enough to be there a little early to do the setup, and then we're there for the two weeks of training, and, and then we're cleaning up, and and right in the middle of that, uh, we we actually got the call or the official notification. How did they notify you? So our battalion commander kind of stood us all up in formation and said, uh, "I got to tell you, this is this is serious. This is it." Um, when we get home from Fort Polk, we have a couple of weeks, and we're going. <laughs> so was it your
0: entire group? Do they take a, a whole group at once? Is so, that how the way it always works?
1: It's not the way it always works. Uh, it, it turns out better, I think, I think for people if they can take a whole unit. So we were taking a battalion. Uh, how many people battalion? are in a battalion? Oh, let's see. You got a few companies. Maybe a few companies are... 100 ish people each. Mm, so, this is a huge group.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a few hundred people. Was this all, and everyone was living in Utah in this battalion?
1: Kind of, sort of. I 19th... mean, you can understand, you can see yeah, I yeah. know a lot about the military. Yeah, no, 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 I have no, I have no,
0: no understanding so of all this.
1: Typically, with, with National Guard units, because it is a state thing and it's local, and yeah. so most people live where they're drilling, it's called, sure. where their unit is. The 19th Special Forces group is a little different because these are actually the teams are they're real they're, they're green Berets. So to have there's only a couple of places where you can be a National Guard green beret. So you have green Berets So in they're the coming from yeah oh yeah oh uh, wow. Yeah. Uh, so they those guys a lot of them live in Utah not all of them do but but they love what they do and they're good at it so they're, they're willing to travel from wherever they live yeah to come for their weekend drills cool you know, as, a, as a green beret. So
0: so how did once you got this word, Debbie was expecting that this was gonna happen?
1: Yeah, she she's always kinda I don't know, she's she's got this weird thing of knowing what's what's yeah. coming down the pipe, yeah. man. <laughs> yeah, so
0: how did but, you feel? I mean, were you conflicted or were you excited? Were so you...
1: It, it's funny, it was hard. The hard part about that was that we were away and we got the word. Oh yeah. And we were locked down on this drill. We can't even communicate with our families necessarily yet cuz really? we're this scenario-based thing and the mm-hmm. scenario is still going on and and uh, and we had this short period of time where so we were like so we got to finish this and then go home and we only got a couple weeks and we're and we're oh, leaving. Must and, have been
0: murder to finish that.
1: So that was that was kind of difficult. But at the same time, it's kind of a validation. So officially National Guard units to deploy they go someplace and they get validated they kind of get evaluated mm. on their jobs and it's like a validate you there yeah. while you're doing this. right so that was part of it they yeah. said yeah you know what you guys look like you you're doing what you're supposed to be doing uh we feel comfortable sending and did, you down range. did
0: you know it was afghanistan right away
1: um i don't
0: remember or was right it just idea. you're being deployed
1: don't remember they might i think they were a little more generic so i think they said something like southwest asia yeah and so we all went okay Afghanistan Yeah. yeah but so interestingly my we did have instructions from my battalion commander he said he explained to us to make make it very very clear he said so you know part of this information is classified the fact that we are going uh and he said but Here's what makes it classified. If you put this together with that, or this together with that, so he said, you know, just please don't, don't put it all together. I know you have to tell your families, but yeah. please don't put it all together. Well, we are scheduled to leave at this time, and it's this yeah. many people, and we're sure. leaving on a, you know, so. Yeah. And he, and he gave us some more specific guidelines on what we could or should tell our families. How old was your oldest? He was, while I was gone, he was in fourth grade. I remember that. Yeah. So that must have been the summer before he was in fourth mm-hmm. grade. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So how did your kids respond when you told them you were leaving?
1: You, you know, I think they took it great. They took it really well. Later, years go by and we talk about it. and Or maybe not even years, but afterwards I hear them say like how scary it was for them and 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 that kind of tug tugs at you a little bit yeah because you realize yeah it it must have been scary but Mm -hmm. but they handled it great Debbie was phenomenal she she had told them uh something like all right guys um when we're home at night and it's just us we can cry and we can talk to each other and and we can Mm. whatever we need to do but morning time it we put on our game faces and we still to have to go to school and we still got to do our daily things and and they did and they 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 thrived man they did i feel really really blessed really lucky yeah, yeah. so
0: so you take off you go to you go to afghanistan yeah and what's it
1: like when you get there <laughs> so part of the, i was thinking about this and and i'll i'll be honest with you even though it's totally going to expose kind of how dumb I I really am was, <laughs> um, so, so you get these weird like ideas of what you what you're gonna need to have with you, right? And you're thinking of in the old days it would have been a deck of cards, and in the newer days is I gotta have a laptop, yeah, you know, and, or or how am I gonna do my laundry or how's it? And you just don't know. Lo and behold, it, it, it we we kind of landed at an airbase, but but um when all was said and done we ended up we're loading up on these planes and you've got you've got all your stuff right you've got your your Alice pack or your your backpack with you and you've got your weapon with you and you and you're and you're going into country and i'm thinking uh gosh what's going to happen I, I don't know what it's like to land and get off the plane and i'm and i'm in a war zone I, I don't know what to expect and so I'm picturing movies, and I'm picturing, yeah. Okay, so so we all stand up, and I've and I've got my gun in my hand, you know, and I'm, I don't have any bullets, but. <laughs> oh really? Well, it's not on the plane ride over. Yeah, so you
0: walk <laughs> off the plane with an unloaded weapon. Right, but I'm thinking. But you're holding it. What's gonna happen? <laughs> yeah, I'm holding this
1: thing, man, and and uh, but they opened it up, and it was kind of this collective, oh, it <laughs> it. Afghanistan looks like West Lehigh. Afghanistan looks like Fort... uh, Which West Lehigh is
0: is basically a desert, for those who don't know. I mean, it's...
1: So it's just basically just basic desert. It looked like the place where we've trained every month and where... It it looked like... It it was almost... Not I'm not going to say it's a disappointment, but it was almost like, man, how long we were in the air and we're home? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, so we get off the plane and and uh, and you kind of start to realize you get your bearings about you a little bit, yeah, and, uh, and you realize where you are and what's going on, and then and then for me, it then it, it ended up being kind of like uh, being in jail, I guess. I don't know. You're in a very small, yeah, place with a fence around you,
0: and how permanent was everything? Yeah. Were they just? I'm picturing tents, not buildings. I'm picturing...
1: Right. So if you think about um, when when was the towers, 2001, right? Yeah. So this is now just a couple of years later, 2003. I think there's a movie coming out now about some special forces guy that, oh, guys yeah, that were right. there very, very soon after. And so when I got there in 2003 and uh, I met... I met a guy who had been there a little earlier, and he was like, oh, yeah, when I got here the first time, all we had was a dirt berm around us. Now, <laughs> look, we at least we got a fence, and so it, it had been getting built up. So we had we had tents, and they were converting them to what they called bee huts, which was you tear down the tent and rebuild it out of plywood, exact same shi- size and shape, mm. only it's out of plywood now, yeah. which was kind of cool because... Cause now you can get more scrap wood and nail stuff up and kind of customize your yeah, little space. Sure. Right. So make it your own. That's fine. fun. So uh,
0: what, what's the name a, a base? Uh, what were you on? You were in, yeah, a, I was on a, an air base. I, an was air in, base. Okay. I was in Bagram. So, so you were on an air base. How many, how many people were at the air base?
1: I don't know. A lot. Yeah. So, so the whole coalition has a presence there. Um, where I was was a pretty big place by comparison uh, a place where the air force is you know willing to bring in a cargo plane full of people and yeah. offload them and get them set up that sort of stuff uh outside of that they've got um smaller forward operating bases kind of remote bases yeah.
0: so you were at a main right. base I was and at was the it place. was it you said coalition forces so was it all Americans or was it coalition oh uh, was it a it mixed was base so of, beautiful
1: man i <laughs> It was, yeah, there was, so the Canadians were there, the French were there, the Brits were there. uh, How cool. New Zealand, Australia. Did you stay kind of separated
0: with, like, you were with the Americans most of the time and then maybe just during downtime you saw others? Or did you drill together as, like, were you there as the U.S. military or as the coalition forces? Both. Yeah. Yeah,
1: so so certain shops, let's call it, um, whatever if you're in intelligence or if you're in comms or if you're in infantry type of stuff or whatever you're in supply, uh, there are some some coalition mixed shops, we'll say, where everybody's got somebody in there. And so you get a chance Mm. to work with other people. I have it being support for the special forces. You've got the big base and and, uh, everybody's there, but you kind of got like... The, the Germans' camp is kind of over here, and the oh, okay. The, the Koreans are kind of over here, and somebody's over there. Fascinating, and, uh, and and um, so I was on the special forces camp, and but in this special forces camp, it was like a lot of it was. The Lithuanian special forces, the New Zealand special wow. forces, the Jordanians—the
0: so all the elites of the world, really.
1: Yeah. So I kind of walked around, out with them. you know, starstruck. I don't know if I want to say that, but was,
0: yeah. You know, Did you ever was, have that thought of, boy, this guy could rip out my throat in like, <laughs> moment?
1: Yeah. I mean, no. I so what I I'm, think
0: when I think of special forces. I'm thinking of guys who are the elite of the
1: elite. Yeah, I remember this one guy that's. Uh, uh, from New Zealand. I, I walked around with him and I heard him. He was a commo guy, so that's why I, I interacted with him. He was their commo guy. And I, I walked around with him. That's communication support? Y- yeah. Which is what you were doing. Yeah. yeah. And he, he would introduce himself and I heard him over and over again introduce himself. I didn't, but I didn't realize that I didn't know what he was saying until all of a sudden I knew. I, I heard what he said and I was like, whoa, I've heard that a bunch of times and I finally realized Anyway, the dumb. He's like, "Oh, uh, I'm Sergeant Major Lancaster. Call me Bird. Everybody does," but he said it with this New Zealand accent, and I I didn't get oh. it until about the ninth time I heard it, <laughs> and I thought, "Oh, well, maybe no one else knows what yeah. he's saying."
0: Either yeah, he says. call call me Bird. No one else or everybody, <laughs> everybody, else, everybody does. else
1: does. Yeah.
0: But he's uh, awesome, dude. That's that's just neat. So yeah. now there were a lot of people in your from your battalion there mm-hmm. from Utah yeah were there are a lot of other members of the church there
1: outside of our battalion no I mean just With generally
0: those? there on at the base at the air base um
1: I don't know about a lot it was much smaller that time than later when I went so uh, but um, we had a a group right and there were other people on on the base who were LDS and, and we were able to set up um, some meeting times. And
0: so is it is it a sanctioned branch that gets set up or is it just, hey, we're Mormons and we're going to get together and meet?
1: The first, in 03, uh, I'm assuming it was a group. Or in fact, it was. Yeah. So I didn't know then, I know now, kind of how some church units are st- structured, right? And And the church has... Uh, groups that would fall under districts, um, and and a military group is is one of those groups, and they just call so, it that. It's not a branch; it's just a military group. Right. So and there and there's a group leader. A military group leader is a, is a calling. Yeah. Uh, somebody can get. They don't hold priesthood keys over it. You're you're actually under, so as being under a district, um, we were under that falls under a mission president. So. It it does. It did later. At that time, well, it was just under the area president. Yeah, and how uh, would it in Afghanistan? Well, later. Funny in two. So when I went there in two thousand three, I think we were under Elder Neuschwander, something like that. Yeah, Nishwander. Um, yeah. He was like the area. yeah. Area president for that area, something okay. like that. I know the name. When I yeah yeah when I went in two thousand eight. Now uh, I'm pretty sure. And, and if somebody listens and goes, no, man, Halsey's totally wrong, that'd be great. <laughs> right? but I think they did uh, establish a mission. They called it a mission. Mm. Um, uh, the church officially said, no, this is a mission. But I think th- there wasn't like missionary work, right? Like right. Missionaries, no mission president. They're not out in but white shirts I think it's and ties just a in the middle of Afghanistan. Right? Sure. It's a structure there that now you put a group under a mission and you've uh-huh. got... Uh, leadership and
0: did you not. did you have so you had but you met regularly there was yeah. a, there was a meeting time and yeah
1: so on the big base yeah I was pretty spoiled I got to go every Sunday yeah uh, was it a full sacrament, sacrament meeting. meeting we had a full sacrament meeting and I think we may have even done one other meeting either like a Sunday school or priesthood or something was like there that. was
0: there was that during a block of free time or was that religious. Study time? Like, did the Catholics meet? Right, yeah. Like, so it was like, okay, this is this time is carved out if you are religious, you go to your religious meetings at this time? So, uh,
1: it's actually even better than that. It, so, that's kind of it, but they did. We kind of shared a facility, so um, another denomination would have the building from a certain time to a certain time, and we would have it from our time, and someone else would have it after that, uh, that sort of thing, so... Yeah, it was wonderful. We got to meet regularly. It's kind of interesting because it's it's a different environment. You go in and and you're you're dressed c- casually. So if you're oh, not working, so you're in your, you're in. We would wear our PT clothes because we're not necessarily on duty. So you're in your sweats and shirt, and you got your rifle on you, and and it's hot, so you're drinking a Pepsi. And so, put it under your chair so it was very very casual <laughs> right. yeah. a little adam, bit different adam, that way <laughs> adam
0: stokes one of our listeners adam stokes had that question about you know what what is church what's the whole experience of it so yeah. it was in a, a space that was reserved at that time for, for religious, religious practice. practice yeah so you would yeah. and then you would leave and another religion would come yeah. in and they'd have yeah. their services there
1: yeah and it was awesome because because uh other people would come. I mean, people would come, you know. So, a war zone, I'm going to, do I dare speak for other people? I don't, I don't know. Of course you do. So, <laughs> it's conjecture. So, right. So, it seems like whatever religion a person is or isn't, certain events like going to war yeah. kind of make you take some stock in something, kind of make you maybe a little nervous, a little uncomfortable or sure. something. And so Of course. So you look for something to hold on to. Yeah. There's many different things. One thing might be religion. Anyway, uh, so people would come around um, just to kind of see what's going on with the LDS folks, right? Yeah. And that that's always kind of kind of neat, <laughs> you, you know. Because so especially people if we pop a, in
0: who had never never been to a Mormon church before. Yeah. And yeah. they'd come in just to see what it's all about.
1: Yep. Yep. And they may or may not have even been American, you know. That, I don't know what that. I don't know what I mean by that. Yeah.
0: No, it's I. I know but, what you mean. They may have been from people from everywhere. Yeah.
1: You know, it's popping in or whatever. Yeah.
0: You've mentioned the phrase "war zone." Sure. A couple of times, is war zone? Are you being broad in that Afghanistan was a war zone? Yeah. Or how close were you to combat action with at the airbase?
1: Me, so. Uh, Again, man. If, I don't. Anybody I mean, else's experience, if man? Stuff feel you can't free to talk about. You <laughs> no, know. no, it's not. I just make it sound like that because you know, otherwise everybody would go to sleep. So. <laughs> I had ice cream like every night, man. From the chow hall. But, <laughs> but uh, I
0: mean, was it was it a situation where you were support for the right. special forces? Clearly, yeah. the special forces are not there to build houses. You know, I mean, they're right. special forces, right? they have a job to do you're supporting them yeah were you mainly on base or did you go out and see action so I was
1: mostly on base uh in the in the support world um probably getting off base was mostly the only times I ever got off base uh throughout both deployments personally was uh no in fact for me it was only to do what's called a Communication security run mm. or whatever this the, crypt, the cryptographic stuff that gets loaded in the radios. Okay, um, kind of has to get hand delivered. So on certain intervals or whatever, you, just, you have to go around and hand deliver it and update the and take them out crypto. Yeah, to so, the people. Gotcha. So for me, that was the only time I ever traveled around.
0: When you were on base, did you always feel safe, or did you ever feel like, man, this this could go it's, south?
1: It's it's interesting because I I never felt like. Um, you're always aware so I was always aware that that you're in a fenced guarded area for for a reason mm-hmm. and and everybody does what you call pay the you pay the rent right so paying the rent means hey if you're living on base you got to be part of keeping the base running everybody does their turn doing guard duty everybody does their turn doing whatever right and mm. so you spend I'd spend a little time on guard duty up on a tower you know just watching out the fence whatever so you, you're always aware. And and my heart is out and hat is off to the people in in smaller bases, yeah, really more vulnerable sure. and really, I mean, really have to watch out for themselves, keep their guard up, keep security going, and and every once in a while, you know, really have to defend themselves.
0: Because it would take a lot to attack a, a big large air base. base I mean, sure, right. Something like that would take a yeah. very concerted effort. Were there ever times when you were there on either deployment where there was. An, an alarm, an emergency where they thought so two well, was a couple of times
1: one, <laughs> uh, why do I laugh um, yeah, so this one time it happened to be on my first appointment. when I was I was on guard duty as a matter of fact I was oh wow the captain of the guard for our little sector so we just had a, a piece of defense of the big base right and, yeah and uh, and something happened so I was relieving some guards to go to breakfast. So I'm up in their spot and their way and and some loud bang commotion something happened off to my right off to, I couldn't see it there's trees and stuff and and um and there's someone on the radio going hey guard so and so number six whatever what do you see what's going on I don't see anything number three what's going on and mm. and uh, and then I see this truck coming coming towards me not me but coming yeah. towards my area right there because there's a road there right so yeah, sure. they're coming up this road that's right in front <laughs> of my area got to make it sound cool they're coming towards me right they're coming it's, at anyway, me so they're <laughs> on the road that's in front of my area yeah and uh and it was it was full of people like there was, it was a truck so there's like four people in the back was it a um, military truck or no so it's just a pickup truck
0: oh wow and so this is not
1: and and immediately kind of know fast. it's not military right so i'm thinking commotion truck coming I Mm. I don't know what do I do not what do I do sorry I, I I laid my rifle down I'm looking through we just had iron sights a hole in the back a post in the front right and and uh I pointed at the truck and and I could see like everything I was totally aware of absolutely everything rules of engagement going through my mind right and I'm and I've got this, and had felt such a clear vision of of what I was looking at. Like I could see the driver, I could see the passenger, I could see all four people in the back very, very clearly, and it really felt like I, I could have done anything I wanted to, anything. So I was going through my mind. I'm thinking, all right, if I see anything, in if I see a buttstock, if I see a, a knife hilt, anything, then then I, I do my job and. So I'm watching, and I hear some footsteps coming up the tower, and, I, and then again, I could tell exactly who it was, and I knew exactly where they were, and I knew exactly when they can open the door. And they, they came in, and, and this guy he's like, what's going on, what's going on? I said, well, there's a truck out here. And, and uh, it, as I was looking at the truck, it actually looked like <laughs> a green and white vehicle like our sheriff's, it, And so part of me thought, what if it's an emergency vehicle? Turned out to be an emergency vehicle going wow. to to some car accident or something that happened right out our base, mm. but so you know, there, there's moment, my big though. my big combat story is there was a car accident and there's an emergency vehicle that I pointed my gun And at. thank heavens, you know, I mean,
0: thank heavens <laughs> right. that that was it, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's oh, gosh, but that was intense just hearing it. Yeah. So I can't imagine that playing out. What? Uh, yeah. How were you able to communicate with your family while you were gone?
1: Uh so the first time, um They were how many years apart? Four. Four. Oh yeah. three to oh four and then oh eight to oh nine. Yeah. So the first time, uh, we had some internet drops. We hi we we contracted with a guy out of Dubai, uh, to come and install a dish and hook us up with some internet mm-hmm. connectivity and, and then we put in a couple of drops, internet phone connectivity and so you would just go stand in line and wait and just audio, just phone. Yeah. No video. Yeah. yeah.
0: Second mm-hmm. time did you have Skype or anything like that?
1: So it was available, but uh, I would I'd sit in my little hooch. So at this time those those plywood tents yeah. are, are now kind of plywood tents with sections. So your little cell is a plywood. You have your own foot. space. Yeah. is oh, nice. About as big as two of your tables right here. Yeah. So, so
0: but uh, maybe 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 seven feet across, six,
1: seven feet. Yeah, just enough so you have your your bed and your stuff in there. What else do you need? I mean, have your bed and your stuff. Sure. But I would hear people's Skype Skype conversations, like lengthy conversations that would sound like this. I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? (laughs) (laughs) So so I thought, I don't think I'm going to (laughs) bother. An hour
0: of that. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) How often were you able to call home?
1: I was very very fortunate on my second deployment. I had an office with a phone. Oh, wow. Yeah, and a, and yeah, an ability to call.
0: Yeah, that's great. Yep. So you go through the first deployment, you you make it back home mm-hmm. after after a year. On your first deployment, so how, b-
1: by the way, sorry. Adam was born while I'm gone. Well, this was great i really appreciated my chain of command when i was there with the special forces i i, I feel a little cheaper saying that when i was there at supporting the special forces you were there with um, the special forces that's that's fine uh like leave wasn't like we didn't quite know it how to deal with it yet or they didn't know how to do it, whatever the guys who were in iraq um the army had already figured out kind of a leave plan and that sort of stuff. And we were a little bit different yet. Uh, but my, my commander, my company commander and battalion commander, they kind of got together and said, here's We're going to make sure people need to get home. We're going to, we're going to get them home for a, for a week or a leave break or whatever. Not everybody did, but, but, uh, I let them know that I had a child being born and, and, uh, and he was pretty good. He, put me on like an order because our higher up wasn't allowing us to take leave Mm. so he put me on an order to go to germany for something and then from there i was able to take leave so anyway i i got home uh like december 4th adam was born december 6th and i headed back out like december 9th (laughs) gosh that's (laughs) amazing to go back yeah so i got there and so i was there for the birth it was great And Adam's
0: 14 now. Adam's 14 now. Amazing. Yeah. (laughs) So your first deployment, how did that year in Afghanistan affect your testimony, your relationship with God? Or did it?
1: It did. It did. So, um, you know what it really affected was my... uh, Desire for um e- eternal families so you know and I don't know who all goes through this police officers maybe deal with it every day firemen anybody <laughs> driving on the freeway in bad weather I, yeah. you know uh there are some times when you kind of realize hey what's really important to me cause mm. <laughs> cause I'm separated from my family is it a good thing that I'm doing uh you know, you, you read the scriptures, you read the Bible, you read the Book of Mormon, you read about wars and, and things that were done, um, either for a specific religious purpose or just because, you know, people are who we are and and we do bad things to each other. But um, it got me really thinking about, about the joy of an eternal family.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure it means something very different when you're on the other side of the world. When you're in a tenuous situation, not easy. Yeah. Um, I'm sure suddenly those questions become more relevant. Sure. Yeah. What does my family mean to me? When you were called to be deployed a second time, yeah. I remember that well. I remember being surprised. Were you surprised that you were deployed
1: again? Uh, no, no. No, you figured this could happen. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was fact, a year each time. Yeah. So they, th- th- again, the guard, the army has done a good job. Yeah. I mean, they, go- I
0: know they notified you, but when they notified you right. early, was it like, are you kidding me? I'm going again. Or was it, okay, this is what I signed up for.
1: Right. That's so they have these cycles. And so a unit will go on, on a, they called it an R cycle. And it's some sort of acronym. I don't remember what mm. it means. Forced generation. Anyway, readiness cycle. So you at, at then anyway, a unit will deploy, and it puts them on a deployment color or whatever. And then you come home, and you're in a reset period for a certain ter- period of time, and then you're in a you're eligible to go again, and then you're probably going to go again. So gotcha. So w- even when you come okay. home, you know you're in this cycle as a unit mm. anyway. So
0: so your second deployment, yeah. Zach was quite a bit older at this point. Yeah. How did that affect your kids differently the second time? Were they more ready for it, or was it harder because they were older, or what was their experience?
1: That's a good question. I, it's it seems like we all handled it probably a little better the yeah. second time. I don't know if that's, a, if that's a good thing. I mean, it's a good thing. But yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't like oh no, this is old hat. I got this. <laughs> you know. No, but, of course not. And and neither were they thinking that Debbie and the kids. We all knew what we were in for, but then again, we all knew what we were in yeah. for. <laughs> you know. So,
0: and you were living in the ward though at that time. Yeah, and I remember the entire ward. It's one of the things I love about our church: the entire ward saying, "Okay, now we all step in." This, you know,
1: it was uh, a really good experience, a really yeah. nice, nice experience. And you know, um, so throw out names and stuff. I don't know. Um, I had just met, for example, uh, Jeff Southard. Yeah. I don't believe the same That's Sand- the guy in our ward. Yeah. yeah. I don't think Jonathan Sandberg was in the ward yet. Mm. But while I was gone, I, I think the Eddies moved in, the Sandbergs. So we got these families that moved in who are great, great people. There was already great, great people here, but I just happened to know that they moved in and they were put in the deacon's quorum where, where my son Spencer was. Mm-hmm. And Debbie would tell me about great things that Spencer was experiencing in the in the Deacon's Quorum yeah. with, under these guys, and and uh, I've always I don't know I've always felt really blessed about that. Um,
0: yeah, the war definitely picked up the mantle. Yeah. I, I don't know fully. I mean, I sure. But from what I saw, yeah. I'll tell you one thing that was really neat for me while you were gone is I was doing a lot of stand-up comedy at the time. Um, I was doing a lot of corporate events, and, and I added some sound, some music and stuff to my show and needed somebody to press the play button at the right time and help right. me set up equipment yeah, yeah. and take it down.
1: Oh, and yeah.
0: your son, Zach, <laughs> uh, I was his quorum advisor, or I was his yeah. Sunday school teacher or something. But somehow, Zach had mentioned that he had interest in that, and I said, oh, you should go with me to the show. I'll pay you to you know be my sound guy. So for two... Uh, maybe it's just one Christmas, Christmas season where I had like 15 shows or something like that. And I mean, we were in Ogden and Logan. I mean, we <laughs> yeah, were yeah. two-hour drives sometimes. Zach was my sound guy, and uh, he was phenomenal. I mean, all your kids are amazing and all very talented. Um, but I I got to know Zach quite well during that time while you were gone. Yeah. One of the neatest things because you know I got to have long conversations with Zach. We'd be driving you know, for hours on end in the cold and, or waiting, you know, to go on stage or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he was so mature and there was a, there's no question that there's a challenge to kids going through this,
1: right?
0: but I witnessed the blessing in Zach. This, this, I don't want to say ages, it it matures you. Now, Zach was mature before. I mean, he's a special kid. Um, But there was this maturity of like, he understood what was going on. But then we had a really cool time. I, I would always introduce Zach. And I don't know why, but one time when I was on stage, I said, uh, let's hear it for my sound guy, this is Zach. And I said, Zach's father is deployed in Afghanistan right now. And I don't know why I said yeah. it, but I did. Yeah. The entire audience stood. And oh, man. gave a standing ovation for you. Yeah. And I remember just looking at Zach and Zach got this look on his face, like, Yeah, that's my dad. Yeah. My dad's fighting for our country. And I was like, I got really emotional on stage. I didn't expect yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And from that point yeah. I started pointing that out. And the response every time, hundred percent of the time, was the same. People would at least clap.
1: Right. Right.
0: But I would say half the time they stood and gave a standing ovation for you, yeah. and for Zach because they understood this, you know, right. what it meant.
1: You know, I, um, I know that. So we've talked. When I say we, in the people in the military, people I know in the military, um, I joined in the '80s originally, right? And yeah. So we, I've known people who were Vietnam era soldiers, Vietnam era veterans. And, um, and, and you hear and you know, you know how things were for them when they came home Yeah, and, and even with, with, uh, whatever divided political climate. Sure. Um, I remember coming home, uh, I think it was my second time. So I came home on leave or coming home for good. And it's must have been on leave from Afghanistan the second time I came home made it for Spencer's baptism <laughs> no was it no was it Spencers yeah anyway um, I flew into Texas I don't remember which airport's got to be what Dallas is that where the international anyway yeah. uh, there's this kind of bridge um, and it's glass in case so you can see down and here this whole plane full of Soldiers coming home. Some of them are coming home. Some of them are on leave or whatever. We're walking across this bridge. And, and for as far as I could see on the airport, as we were on this bridge, people stopped. Like people stopped and, and applauded uh, mm. for us. And it, it's hard. Everybody on the bridge is emotional. I mean, that's, yeah. that was really something to, that was very appreciated. There's some hard things to deal with when you come home so so i i i didn't i didn't personally experience some of the um real nastiness of war like many soldiers sailors, mm. airmen, and marines do um but you come home and and there's everything one person may be feeling uh I'm going to put this out there. Some guilt over having a really nice deployment. You know, uh, gosh, I owe owe everyone an apology because I had Mm. such a great deployment. Or or you come home with maybe some odd feelings trying to reconcile some of the things maybe you had to do or some of the things you saw maybe wish you, I don't know. It's war. Reconciling things is kind of hard, right? So there is. There's a lot of help out there available. I don't know if I need to put this plug out there. Please do. So you know the I heard not long ago that um the suicide rate for National Guard uh soldiers had was rising and mm. and uh competing with with levels of other things that had industries or or you know full-time military that had uh issues with that as well. Anyway, there's it, it's great that there is so much support and, sure. and lots of people that want to
0: help. Yeah, so if people want to help for for soldiers who are coming home, mm-hmm. what can they do? How can they figure out how to help?
1: Um, this is really interesting in, in my estimation. It goes right back to the same thing we talk about it church every week outstretch mm. your hand say hello hey good yeah. to see you. everybody needs to feel like it's good to see them right yeah and then and then through friendships um, if if somebody's in tune or or uh, tuned into somebody and, and can be a listening ear if they're ready to talk uh, not worry about it if they're not um, yeah you know
0: I'm sure that that comes and goes too. Sure. There are probably times that you're just dying to talk about it, and there are probably times that, you know, it's, hey, I don't want to talk right. about it. Right, yeah, yeah, that's a lot. And you're now retired. Yeah. You are retired <laughs> from that. Tell us what you're doing now.
1: So I always wanted to teach. And the last couple of years of my service, I aimed at teaching, uh, and and everything fell right into place. For me, I was able to uh, finish out my my terminal leave, my last bit of leave. That GED finally teaching. paid off. That it did. That GED <laughs> like, came hey, yeah. into action. <laughs> I, I can say that. See that guy. I'm, I'm a GED holder myself,
0: so I can tell you. That guy at you, Fort
1: Riley, he knew. Right? He, <laughs> he knew. <laughs> this kid's going to be a <laughs> teacher someday. You're going to need this. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, so towards the end. Um, I was able to do my student teaching. Uh, f- obviously, I finished my degree and a master's degree and then f- did my student teaching uh, right at the end on leave and um, and then hired on. So I retired in June and was teaching in August.
0: If, if you were to take a look now, take a look back at all of that experience being deployed twice, being away. Yeah. Is there one central takeaway? Is there one thing that you walk away from? I mean, I know there are thousands of little things. Right. But is there one overarching message that it taught you about life or about religion or country or is there one overarching kind of theme that you walked away with?
1: Yeah. And and I don't I don't know if this is really going to be meaningful to anyone other than me, but um I uh, learned the the benefit of um, not letting where I am determine or change who I am. Mm. Uh, Because, you know, you travel, right? And there's opportunities to maybe be a different person right to absolutely Um, be a different
0: person right
1: and 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 again i'll go back to man there was damon holsey from zero to 19 yeah tried to do a lot of things on his own not so good damon holsey from about 20 on spending some time learning to hey don't be don't do it on your own rely on the lord trust what he's just trust what he says to do and and live that way and and boy things go a lot better yeah um, but with that, sometimes I, have I've seen other people, good people who I, who I, you know, brothers who I would, um, do just about anything for, uh, come home with some, some, maybe some regrets that, that, uh, are hard for them to, to deal with. And and I'm not saying, hey, you know, look at me. I did everything right. I'm a great guy and I had no regrets.
0: That's a great lesson. I think that makes a lot of sense. I think I'll make a lot of sense to a lot of people. Well, Damon, this has been great. I mean, this is really fascinating. I think (laughs) it's an inside look. I had no idea about most of this stuff, so I was fascinated. I appreciate it. We're going to wrap up with asking you the question that we ask every one of our guests at the end of the show. Okay. And that is what does being a member of the church mean to you?
1: Being a member of the church, uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, to me, uh, means that this life has a purpose. Not not just the the kind of flowery nice word religious pep talk of Yeah, hey Damon, there's a plan for you which there is, but but it's I I so appreciate um knowing that from what we call the pre existence, right, we were there and and we were part of this plan that Heavenly Father made to include and earth so that we could come and have this mortal experience, gain bodies, and progress by exercising faith in Christ mm. um, for the purpose that really is after this earth life, right? Uh, so being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to me means its purpose. It's purposeful mm. and so all the, the nonsense that happens because we're here on earth, yeah. right? Sometimes, like, like if I'm having a hard time, I'm terrible. I really, I love to feel sorry for myself every <laughs> once in a while and, and grumble a little bit, like, the joy the gospel brings. What are you talking about? <laughs> but truly, anytime I take stock, <clears throat> not take stock, but, but, Read the scriptures and remember, oh, no, 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 earth life is what it is. And, and we were with God before and, and, and in that council, uh, Christ agreed to, to make it all possible through unfathomable and an un, yeah. un- mm-hmm. service and sacrifice and suffering, um, But I'll make it possible for you so no matter how goofy life gets while you're on on Earth or even whatever terrible decisions you're going to make, I can fix it all. You just got to play by the rules that I'm going to give you and move on. So purpose, purpose.
0: (laughs) Purpose is a great way to put it. Damon, this has been fascinating. And I could probably ask you about 800 more questions because, again, it's something I, I just don't know it all about but uh but uh i think not that you haven't heard it enough but thank you for your service i really appreciate you taking the time well, and to so. share your latter-day life with us thank you
1: yeah my pleasure <laughs>
0: special thanks to Damon Holsey wasn't he just fascinating gosh Damon is such a good guy and you know he is such a good just humble person i think it really came across in the interview but when i first called him and said hey do you want to be on the podcast he said well instead how about i just uh, refer you to someone who's actually interesting and yet Damon was so fascinating and such just a great guy my thanks to him as well as to all of the men and women in the armed forces who serve uh, especially overseas and the sacrifices they make i think it's just incredible uh, this week in my latter day life i just got back from las vegas i go every year for my job to the consumer electronics show and i'm very blessed i've been 21 years in the same career but i've spent the last two and a half years with uh, a company that i just love uh, the company's called stm we make laptop bags and tablet cases phone cases all that kind of stuff and and I just love working for them. And the owner of the company, one of the owners, uh, the guy I report to directly is just this amazing guy, but he is, he is not what you expect from the owner of a, a company. You know, he's, he's got a big handlebar mustache and tattoos and, and, uh, just a really big intimidating guy is, and it's funny cause he looks like you'd kind of expect him to own a Harley and he does, he owns a couple of Harleys and, and just, and yet such a good man, such a teddy bear of a guy. He likes a good drink and, and uh, he's, you know, he, he can be a little rough around the edges and yet such a, just a compassionate, amazing guy. Well, we were in Las Vegas this week and uh, the Consumer Electronics Show is really draining. I was working on the floor of the show uh, for our booth and uh, at night we'd come back and we, we rented out a house and we had a chef there who was making dinner uh, every night for us, which was great. And one night they finished with one of my favorite desserts, key lime pie. I love key lime pie. And she brought it over to me and I was talking to uh, one of our uh, customers and, and I took a bite of the key lime pie and it it just tasted a little bit odd to me. And then I took a second bite and what what is that different taste? And I took the third bite and all of a sudden it just felt a little bit funky, a little bit warm. And I said to the chef, I said, well, what exactly is this? And she said, oh, it's a tequila key lime pie. <laughs> and as I was saying it, my boss, the guy I was just talking about, turned to our VP of marketing, who's also Mormon. We're the only two Mormons in the company and said, do not eat that. <laughs> it's got tequila in it. And you know, usually in desserts, the, the uh, alcohol really cooks off and this time it hadn't. Uh, it was warm in my stomach. I can only say it was like after you maybe take NyQuil <laughs> and, uh, and my boss came over to me and said, I am so, so sorry. I didn't know and I would have warned you and I would have. And I said, no, really, it's fine. We didn't know. I put it down at that point. But, uh, you know, and it had mostly cooked off. I'm sure I certainly didn't feel any effects of the uh, tequila that was in this dessert, but my boss came over three or four times and said to me, I am so sorry. I hope, you know, I would never do this on purpose. And are you okay? Is there something I can do? And, and he wasn't worried about me physically ingesting alcohol. What he was worried about was my spirit. He knows how important the word of wisdom is to me. And every event we go to, there's a whole lot of drinking. But he always works really hard to make sure that I am very comfortable there as well as our VP of marketing. And the next morning when I got to the booth, uh, he said, hey, how are you feeling? Are you hungover? And he was kind of joking. And I was joking around with everybody about this crazy effect of this pie that I had had. And he took me aside again and said, I really just want to apologize and I really had to reassure him, hey, it's okay. You didn't know. I didn't know. And it's not like I took a big drink of alcohol, but I was so grateful that he really appreciated and understood those around us are paying attention. And I knew that at that moment that he was so aware of our faith and our beliefs. And I think that if I didn't live our beliefs, then, you know, it wouldn't have, if it, if it wasn't important to me, it wouldn't be important to him. And I just, it just made me realize people are watching us. Our beliefs are unique, but by and large, most people really respect them. And I was actually really grateful for that experience and for him. And it reminded me to stay on my toes because everything he knows about Mormonism comes from uh, me and this other employee. People are watching and uh, it's great that we can live our faith. Um, And that's what's happening this week in my Latter-day life. So we want to thank you again for tuning in this week. Next week we'll have another wonderful show for you. If you want to reach out to me by email at Sean at That's S-H-A-W-N at LatterdayLives.com. We can be found on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Just search for us. If you search for Latterday Lives, you'll find us. We'd love it if you'd give us a five-star review wherever you listen to the podcasts. And of course, if you could share this with somebody else who it might brighten their day. Boy, we love that. We keep growing and it's it's definitely thanks to all of our listeners passing it along because it's really the only marketing we do. So thank you again. And until next week, remember, there is a great, big, beautiful world out there. So go be in it. Just not of it. Thanks for tuning in.